then you start seeing your track record starting to speak for itself. These top VC firms have been doing it for the longest, you know, it's been closed off to us, but now you start to figure out your purpose. And my purpose is to kick down the door and, and, and bring my people with me and, you know, get in on this action that we haven't had access to ever. On this episode of Access and Opportunity, we welcome investor Andre Iguodala, venture partner at the Catalyst Fund. Most famously known as a three-time NBA champion, Andre has skillfully leveraged his success in the league to build a prominent career investing in the technology sector. His work with the Catalyst Fund focuses on supporting startups with founders from diverse, underfunded backgrounds. In this episode, Andre takes us back to how he got his start investing, the importance of surrounding yourself with smart, experienced people, and how his work with the Catalyst Fund is helping African-American, Hispanic, and women entrepreneurs secure funding. Come on and join me for the ride. Andre, thank you so much for being here with me today. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. So are you ready? Can we jump in? Yes, ma'am. I appreciate you having me, too. All right. Thank you. I would assume that most people listening to this know you from your time in the NBA. You are a three-time NBA champion, a finals MVP, and a former All-Star. But equally as impressive is what you have done off the court. Just this year, you joined the Catalyst Fund as a venture partner. So tell our listeners about the Catalyst Fund. So the Catalyst Fund falls into the uh, Comcast Ventures. And it's a fund that focuses on underfunded founders. And you talk about underfunded, uh, statistically, uh, African-American, Latinx, and women founders have been funded at a very much smaller number uh, than your traditional companies are funded. And what we've seen is that I'll speak about African-Americans having the strongest spending dollar and then women having a very strong spending dollar. But none of the companies have the entrepreneurs or founders that look like the consumer that they're going after. And throughout recent time, with a lot of these social injustices that have been occurring since the beginning of the country, since its inception, you know, it's been coming to light with uh, the new technologies out there. Uh, obviously, with having a camera in your palm, we're all seeing these things. Uh, so you're seeing a lot of these VC firms. You see a lot of companies that. People don't want to know who they align themselves with in terms of are you supporting, you know, the, the communities that are suffering from these social injustices. So you're seeing a lot of VC firms forming these funds that are focusing on, OK, these uh, black and brown and women founders haven't been appropriately funded historically. Uh, but with Catalyst Fund, it's been around since 2011. So it's been something that has been on his mind before all the hoopla uh, has been about, okay, is, is this is this a, a, a marketing ploy to get people to say, hey, we stand behind you? You know, with Catalyst Fund, it's been something that's been around for a while. And uh, they had a, a good for- portfolio of companies already invested in, wanting to help companies, uh, not just financially, but grow responsibly, uh, grow efficiently and scaling at the right way. So you decided, as opposed to starting your own fund, you thought that the network that you have and the platform that you have attaching yourself to an entity like the Catalyst Fund and Comcast that had been in the game for a while might be a way to kind of accelerate the impact that you could make as an investor. Is that fair? Yeah. For this particular time within my career, uh, I think this was a, a great place for me to align myself, my values and what I'm trying to accomplish in the tech space and trying to have a great effect on the companies that we invest in and that we partner with. It's not just 
providing financial support and financial resources to companies. It's also the expertise, our network, um, and then helping these companies grow responsibly, helping them scale in in a responsible manner, in an efficient manner. So all of those things and those values align with things that I'm trying to do uh, currently within my career and, and my journey in this tech space. That's outstanding. And frankly, we are kindred spirits because that's exactly what we have done with the Multicultural Innovation Lab because we figured out very early on that it was more than the money. So as we like to say, we give them cash, we give them content, and we give them connections to help accelerate the scaling of the business. So let's take it all the way back. You've been an athlete all of your life. So when did you get this interest in investing? And how did you think about that along the way? Well, I try to give it the the shortest version possible, but it's been a, a great journey. Becoming a professional athlete, you get all this burden thrown at you at just one swooping time. As soon as your name's announced and as soon as you sign that contract and then the world knows your salary, you get the, all these things thrust upon you. And this is at a, a young age. You're you know, 19, 20 years old and you're trying to figure out all these things in life. And Obviously, the education system of our public schools are very underfunded. And what occurs is we don't have that financial education that we all truly need to be successful and to handle the wealth that is thrust upon us that fast. Although it's a small number of us, none of us have ever filed a checkbook. A lot of guys have never filed taxes. A lot of guys, it's their first actual job they've ever had. So it's a lot. There's a lot that goes into that. And you go through these different programs and they try to give you life lessons and, you know, teach you. 10, 15 years worth of game in four days. And that goes into how do you scope out someone that's trying to get over on you? You know, how do you scope out the understanding of your filing taxes in every state that you play in? How are you trying to scope out what budgeting means? How are you trying to figure out what's realistic in terms of uh, living within your means and understanding compound interests? And all those things that come about, the percentage of athletes that go through divorces, the percentage of athletes that file for bankruptcy within two or three years of their careers ending. And what's the real average years of an athlete's lifespan? It's like three or four years. People people really don't understand that. And then that triggered a light bulb in my head and it told me to figure out a lot of these things that they're saying are the major issues for professional athletes and finances were a bigger part of that. So I just try to align myself with people who were smarter than me, who had expertise, who will hold me accountable for learning on my own, going out and getting the knowledge myself and then mm. having a passion to go get that knowledge myself and led me to an E-Trade account. Take a small piece of your savings and you just start dipping and dabbing in different stocks and, you know, it's your money. You don't want to lose it. So you're trying to understand why stocks go up, why they go down, the market cap, strengths and weaknesses of the company, opportunities for the company to scale, and threats of competitors and what other competitors are doing as well. And, and it just leads you into this whole new world. And, and then once you're, you know, you really care about your wealth, you realize that it's not a job. It's just it's something that you learn to enjoy. And you learn how people grow their wealth. You see other people who have more money than you. I know one, one of my favorite books was The Snowball Effect on Warren Buffett. And Pretty much he was just uh, a basketball player, but it was with collecting coins. You know, he just started collecting yeah. coins early instead of dribbling the basketball. And the same expertise I got on the basketball court, he was just getting in the money world. And when, once I understood that, I'm like, hey, we can we can all do this. You know, it's just about having the right perspective, the right understanding, the patience. You know, so mm-hmm. it, it's a lot of things that I learned throughout that. But the E-Trade account really helped me get into the tech space because I saw myself starting to invest in a lot of tech companies. And uh, the iPhone came out around that time. And mm-hmm. I was a big Apple fan. So I was following Apple very closely. And from there, it's just like I, I was just thrust into a new world. 
Wow. Well, I got to tell you, Andre, you just gave us an amazing playbook. So now let's fast forward. It's 2011. There's a, a lockout in the NBA and you use the time instead of continuing to kind of work on the craft that had the W-2 associated with it. You actually went to an internship at one of our competitors, Bank of America Merrill Lynch, to just do a week long internship. Tell us about that and why that might have been important for you. Yeah, that was a great experience. And Around that time, I just signed a large contract with the Philadelphia 76ers. I had a, a really good, I call it a good scare, where you sign a nice contract coming in and then you sign your big contract and it's like, now nah, it's a really a different world. You know, you have, <laughs> you have access to a lot of things. And I was glad I went through that phase really fast where I experienced the highlight or whatever they call it. And I got a quick understanding that it really, it was just material things. And I realized that it wasn't really for me. And it was like, uh, there's much, something more powerful out there in terms of what you can really do financially if, if you if you put your right efforts into it. So um, I had gotten with a, a good money manager and we put a playbook together in terms of how quickly we can save a certain amount of money. And the playbook my money manager had was was safer at the time, which was good for me because it was all about just saving. It's what yeah. we call it stacking, just stacking as much as possible and just cutting out a lot of things that you don't need. So you learn about assets and liabilities. So the lockout happens and... Uh, I say, let's make some, let's make something of this time that you're off. Let's not just sit around and I get my work done in the gym. And then you have all this time on your hands. As an athlete, you have a lot of free time. That's what people don't understand. A lot of athletes struggle with that free time. So it was brought up, hey, how about you come in and learn about what I do? And, and that's something I always wanted to do. And then look at some other areas in the different financial space. Whether it be a day trader, I went to see a day trader, which was a lot of fun. Got to see how the business worked for him and how he was moving different stocks for different clients. And on the same trip, on the same internship, I was with a venture capitalist and, and I was in New York. So it's interesting, venture capitalists from New York and Silicon yeah. Valley, but they weren't as known in New York at that time. Now they're all over because, you know, you can you can work remotely. But um, he took me to Tesla. Which was very, very interesting. Ah. Yes, it was one of the like very first showrooms, and I actually got in the first Roadster. Uh, I could barely fit in it, but you know, <laughs> it just opened my eyes to a new world because at the time I still didn't quite understand, but it kind of just got the interest kind of starting to work in the brain in terms of this is a company that doesn't have to take gas; it works off you plug it in a battery, and it's like ah, this this isn't going to work. But that was good for me to see where the company is now. And I actually have a Tesla and I'm like a Tesla advocate and I'm telling everybody to get it. All those different things. And then you, you're seeing how the company's uh, just got reported that it's going to enter the global S&P 500. And, and it's like how the world comes around and works its way around when you put those efforts in and you kind of put the energy out there. So we saw another company and uh, I don't think the company exists, but it was a, a company I actually enjoy seeing. a startup company that basically gave folks points for recycling. So you got recycling points. Wow. But that one was the one I was like, okay, now things are starting to think differently. Like you can make a company out of pretty much anything. And, and now you're just trying to figure out what type of companies you want to invest in and what to look for and what worked and what didn't work. So let's fast forward. You've invested in almost 40 companies. So let's talk a little bit about your investment strategy. We kind of understand how you got here and the interest. And and now I'm going to call it a passion because just hearing you talk about it, I can see that you're passionate about it. So now let's talk about how you have developed your own investment strategy. What do you look for? How do you know when something is a good opportunity? And let's talk about whether or not you have or have not 
adjusted your strategy around this pandemic? Oh, great questions. There's a few things you look for when you're looking at a company. What I learned early on is majority of the time you're investing in the entrepreneur, the founder. And I've seen that many times where it's like, what is your reasoning for investing? And the answer is, well, this is a founder investment. Like we're betting on the founder. Like they've done a made their track record is undeniable. They've been to three or four companies that have had success, either been acquired through M&As or to company public and they'll figure it out. And you have a few entrepreneurs who maybe that company you invested in didn't do well, but then you stuck with them and they started something else that just blew through the woodworks and turned into a billion dollar company. So uh, knowing the entrepreneur has what it takes to run a company, to execute, to do all things it takes, you start to build a network of great entrepreneurs. And then, you know, you're looking at a company that is in a sector that can scale, a company that can grow out, whether it be through a community, companies like in, in the SaaS space, you know, software as a service that work behind the scenes that aren't as sexy, that their their margins uh, are on a different level than your average investor uh, will understand. I also did another internship through Morgan Stanley in the uh, software space where mm-hmm. I was able to meet. Uh, this was four years ago. I met PagerDuty. I met uh, Datadog, uh, Cloudflare, uh, Qualtrics was there. All these great companies were there and I'm meeting all these companies and, you know, two or three years later, they're all IPOing. And it's like, yeah, we ran. I met all these companies before, but it just shows like, you know, if you if you want that knowledge is there for you, you just have to go out there and get it. Yes. No question about it. So you've learned after now investing in these companies, especially sitting side by side with other investors, how they think about it. And it's not just about the income statement or the balance sheet or even the opportunity to pro forma of that company or how big that market can be. A lot of it, especially when you are an early stage investor, which was my big learning um, after being in in this space for the last almost five years. It really is about whether or not that person can bring it home. And what what I normally say to CEOs that I used to talk to when we were taking them public, I would say there's two questions that you have to be able to answer as a CEO. Why me and why now? Because at the end of the day, they're betting on you and they're betting on whether or not you know the game. And the game is the first quarter out of the gate after a public company, you better blow those numbers out. So one of the reasons you do a roadshow is that I need to look at you in the eye and make sure that you understand it and that you're the guy or the gal to deliver that. And the why now is there's always a reason to wait to invest in a company, to wait and see how they're going to do, to wait and see whether or not they hit the numbers. So you have to also create this illusion of scarcity. I.e., If you don't come in now, then you got a message. You'll never see it again at, at, at this price, which, again, takes some skill in terms of doing this over and over again. Were there any skills that you called upon from being a professional basketball player that you think has helped you in the way you critique, look at opportunities, even find opportunities? Maybe it's your network that has opportunities coming to you. But what have you leveraged from Andre, the pro basketball player, to Andre, the investor? Yeah. And then let me let me add the market. The market is very important. And uh, when we see companies, it's like you're looking at the market that you could potentially lead your company to as well. You're seeing the S&P is, it seems like it's being priced out six, seven months ahead. You don't see a vaccine coming. It's a vaccine. It's starting to get there, but it won't be available. You're looking at five, six months out. And then you start right. to see a lot of the stocks switch out. You're seeing a lot of the entertainment and uh, the, the cruise companies, their stocks are starting to rebound with that positive news, although they may not be fully up to go in about six months. So the market that these companies have the potential to get into are very important. And that's understanding early on where the company, you're looking at where the company will be 
two years down the road, five years down the road, 10 years down the road. And I would say as an athlete that there's similar parallels in that as well, because when you're looking at, you know, NBA drafts tomorrow, which is funny, you're drafting the player who's 19, 20 years old. The draft is getting younger and younger and they're drafting on where a guy will potentially be huh. in, in five years. And yeah. uh, you have to try to navigate through all the noise what this guy looks like today versus what he would look like if you groom him and you put him in the right culture. And when I'm talking to entrepreneurs, we talk about the culture of the company as well. You know, when you have pre-seed and you have seed companies, you know, they're just getting the product yeah. out. They're getting to the go to market, the strategy ready. But when they start to really form that company, usually when you make an investment, a board seat comes along if you're investment is a large amount when you get around 10% of the company, which is what Catalyst Fund does. We look to invest early and uh, lead rounds. Mm -hmm. So we're looking to get a board seat to help the company grow, to build that culture. And as an athlete, being on championship teams, being on teams who have overachieved, being on teams who haven't done quite as well, you get an understanding of what the right culture looks like, how to drive people the right way. I've had about nine, 10 coaches. I had a lot of coaches throughout my career professionally and then taking the good and taking the bad with me on this side as well, knowing what different personalities you have to approach differently, especially uh, the ego-driven world that we live in and the sports and tech world. I didn't understand that uh, until I started doing deep dives with these Ooh. entrepreneurs that there's a lot of egos, not just in the sports world, <laughs> but just in life in general. And yep. especially you got these top engineers who... Uh, are being targeted by, you know, the, the, the top stocks, the fame stocks, you know, Facebook, you know, Google, Microsoft, you know, all these companies are looking for the top engineers. So they're being groomed and wine and dine with a lot of these different stock options and bonuses. So uh, there's egos there, too. And I've done a lot of a lot of fireside chats with companies and just been talking about culture. So culture is a big one and, and it can determine your trajectory uh, once you get to that IPO or pre-IPO space and you start to become a public company and, and there's a lot more that comes with it. So what do you say to entrepreneurs? Because as you know, we did a white paper about a year or so ago giving VCs advice on what they need to do to be able to invest in more folks of color and, and more women. And one of the things we called out as a criticism of the industry was that, A, they didn't see enough, B, they weren't clear about their criteria, and C, if somebody got to their office, they didn't necessarily give them the feedback that could help them on the other side or when they came back again for another bite at the apple. So what do you say to entrepreneurs that you don't invest in as to what they might do in order to make themselves attractive? Or what advice would you give for a prospective entrepreneur who actually might be thinking about approaching the Catalyst Fund? You know, you'd say, here's a prescription to come in and how you might heighten your chances of getting an investment from us. What does that look like? Oh, well, what I've seen, and uh, I got to mention my partner in crime at the Catalyst Fund is uh, Fatima Hussein, who does an incredible job. She came from uh, the growth side at Airbnb, just just a brilliant, brilliant brain. And early on, I was just watching her very closely and how she responded to companies that we decided to pass on. And it was very honest and very thorough in the explanation in terms of, OK, this is why we pass We're passing right now. And it would draw up, OK, you, you missed who could be a possible threat to you. You know, uh, I'm looking at a company who's in the, the food space and how to find restaurants in a particular manner. And having to give them feedback in terms of Uber Eats, DoorDash, Yelp, all these companies, uh, Instacart, that are in a space that are going to try to trickle over and disrupt you. So mm -hmm. try to 
add a feature or take this away or you have to be careful because once you start to hit a certain level of growth, these companies are watching mm-hmm. the, the up and coming uh, new startups to make sure they aren't disrupted because they are disruptors as well. So just giving them feedback um, with something uh, as specific as that has been a good help in terms of helping entrepreneurs not waste time and fast track them on either another idea or to pivot and trying to help companies and startups be proactive in terms of their pr- approach and to be uh, watchful of, you know, a company like Facebook, who's gotten a lot of uh, flack in the last couple of years on whether it be through the data or you look at uh, Amazon as well with their data, uh, with companies who use their cloud services in terms of they're seeing a lot of things that are happening and then they'll scale out their company into something they read through the data and being weary of that. So being proactive is very important in this space as well. So you would say to a prospective entrepreneur, first of all, show that you're proactive. Second of all, make sure you know the competition, because if you don't know who what's happening around you, then I'm probably not going to invest in you. The third is called the hustle gene, mm-hmm. right? So how do you assess the hustle gene, if you will? Because as we go back to our previous part of this conversation, you said you're betting on the entrepreneur at the end of the day, right? And so in my view, certainly of the companies that we've invested in, I have to check for that hustle gene. How do you think about that? I think you try to feel the energy that they have in that space. And then, like I said before, you have some entrepreneurs who just got to figure it out. Like they have a playbook and they just keep rolling it out, rolling. They have that track record. But for new entrepreneurs, this might be their first startup that they're trying. You got to see that they really passionate about this space or they figured out some incredible data that no one else has seen that they say, hey, this is something that hasn't been done yet and this hasn't been seen. And, and here's the data to prove that's behind that, the science that's behind it. But that's still that passion. They have a passion for the data or they're just trying to be ultra disruptive and saying we're going to take this whole space and, and we're going to run it. So when you see something special, you try to align yourself with it. Absolutely. So how do you think who you are or what you've done, how you've just invested in the space has enabled you to bring more deals to the Catalyst Fund? Or is that not the role you play, really? Well, I've, I've learned to embrace that early on is kind of proving to people that you belong. So early on, I wouldn't say it as much, but now I use it as, as leverage. When you're going up against top, some of these top VC firms and you're trying to win a deal, I, I'll use that and say, you know, I've uh, been playing basketball for the last, you know, 16 years, going to my 17th season uh, on my way out. And this is going to be my passion when I'm done playing. But I have a lot of connections, whether it be through the player associations, through the NBA offices, through some of the top companies that I invested in, whether it be through uh, I invested in Zoom or I have a great relationship with, you know, folks at Apple or anybody that I can align you with if any problem ever comes, because I'm on this journey with you as you start your company. So um, you got to know when to leverage it and when to kind of tone it down. So uh, it it plays both sides. Yeah, it's a great playing card. No question about it. So, you know, in the ecosystem, we have institutional investors, we have venture capitalists, we have high net worth individuals, family offices, and limited partners. Let me say that because increasingly I'm realizing the power and the leverage of these limited partners to make a difference in closing the gap with respect to the distribution of capital folks of color, which is, you know, in the single digits, the low single digits, because I believe if the limited partners exercise their voice, then obviously the VCs that that take their money will have to make a change either within their staff and certainly in the companies that they invest in. 
that's just one woman's view. So as you think about those constituents, the, the family offices, the high net worth individuals, the institutional investors like VCs, what role do you think they have to play in helping to close this gap? Well, I always say when you start talking about the numbers and the bottom line, that raises everyone's eyebrows. So I say when you talk about who has the strongest consumer spending dollar in the world is African-Americans. And that alone should raise your antennas on who you should be focusing on and including. And not just African-Americans, but people of color and women. And when you look at the top companies in terms of their financial spreadsheet, the profits and the margins, the companies who have the most diverse board, most diverse culture within their companies, they're, they have a track record and it's it proofs in the pudding. It's in the data that shows the more diverse your company is, the higher your returns are going to be. Mm-hmm. And once you break it down to them like that, there's no denying it. And that's the that's the message that I've been given within this last year and a half when I'm talking to people. Because you can always say, hey, you got to include us more. And they, they, you know, they can give you the run around. We all know their concern when there's a crisis like the social injustice that have been widespread recently. And the community uh, and, and the consumers all across the board are seeing what companies are, uh, their mission statements are now. You know, uh, what are you doing to show who you stand behind? There's more of that now than ever, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. You're seeing accountability by the consumer, and that's the tech space. The more data you have, the more you can know exactly who and what you're buying from. You're seeing companies that are being started specifically to show, hey, we're trying to help the environment. Hey, we're trying to use recyclables. Hey, we're not wasting food. Hey, we're doing these different things. So the consumer's smarter, and they're holding these companies accountable with what they stand for. So these VCs and these investors, the LPs, the family offices, you know, they have to show their portfolio as well and who they're investing in and who they're aligning ourselves with. So that's my message to them is that the proofs in the pudding, who do you really stand with? Who are you trying to help? What are you trying to do? Are, are you just, you know, thinking about yourself or is the whole in mind? And it's not, it's not really just the whole, but it makes actual financial sense to have everyone included. And right. that has to resonate with them. I say that all the time, Andre, you and I may not agree on the right thing to do. But as business people, we will agree on the commercial thing to do. And so go there to the common language, if you will. So let's talk about the Players Technology Summit 2017. You put together the inaugural Players Technology Summit. Tell us what it is and why you decided to do it. Uh, The Players Technology Summit is an arena that brings together athletes in the VC world and putting them in front of the experts and hearing it directly from them was the overall goal early on, knowing how it scales out. Like there's so many different plays that comes from this, but it, it goes down to the true essence of these are two worlds that need to be married. They definitely influence one another in so many different ways. Uh, you see the disruption of content in so many different areas and how sports plays in that. You talk about the bundle, the unbundling, but ultimately the sports packages is what keeping the cable companies alive. And there's so much power in that, and it's directly in, 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 the, in the players' hands. And the majority of the two stronger leagues, uh, which is the NFL and the NBA in America, uh, and you talk about soccer and the NBA globally, the penetration is African-Americans who are active in these sports leagues. So there's a lot of value in what we bring to the table. And just marrying the sports world and the tech world, it was just perfect timing. And, and, and we're going to continue to grow this thing out. And uh, it's just a beautiful thing. But ultimately, just getting the players to have that realization that, you know, the traditional 
business deals are changing. It's not your traditional cut and paste uh, marketing deals where it's a simple transaction. I pay you X amount of dollars and I put your face next to my product. There's more power in it and saying there's a transaction, but then there's also uh, you can leverage you know, equity within companies and not necessarily asking for 1% of the company. When you want to do a deal, it's I want to do a deal with your company with the option that I can take my own money and invest in your company, opening up shares for me. And I think uh, we haven't quite got there yet. I'm kind of giving the, the blueprint a playbook, but it's a direction we got to start thinking more about and being more strategic with how we do deals in the tech space. And have you had any success stories from the technology summit or is that what you were just alluding to? Oh, yes. It's, it's just it's a continuation. Like I always say we're just starting and we've had uh, plenty of success stories. You know, I know a couple guys who have gotten into a few pre-IPOs, uh, some earlier shares from different companies. It's opened up the relationship, opening up the doors. Obviously, the relationships that I've been able to form. I did a VC firm's uh, retreat last year that opened my eyes to some more incredible things and got access to some companies. I have about three or four IPOs uh, the past year or two. Wow. And then I, I'm at about like six IPOs up and coming next year. So really wow. excited about- Come on, Andre. Really excited about next year. Um, Goat is a company that's coming up. Truman, not too many people know about Truman, but Truman is a bond trading, uh, electronic bond trading platform that just got about uh, it passed a billion dollar valuation. Um, Allbirds is another company. Their shoes uh, selling like hotcakes uh, in the Bay Area, and they've they've split out into you know from direct to consumer to a few brick and mortars across the country. So then you start to seeing you know. Your track record starting to speak for itself, but then you're starting to building out for future, your future track records where, you know, every year you got three, four companies IPOing and you're starting yeah. to set up how that cycle works and then how these top VC firms have been doing it for the longest. You know, it's been closed off to us, but now you're starting to figure out your purpose. And my purpose is to kick down that door and, and, and bring my people with me and get in on this action that we haven't had access to ever. Outstanding. Outstanding. So that leads me to my second to last question. What's next for you, Andre? Uh, yeah, to keep building. You know, I just uh, spoke about it just lightly in terms of I got about uh, five IPOs coming up next year. And then, you know, now we're looking for the next the next year to build out who's going to look to go public in 2022 and then who's going public in 2023. And that's just going to be daily work. Now, that's just your daily work. And then from there, it just... It works itself. You start you start letting your money work for you, you know, as they say. Uh, that's compound interest on the VC side. And and then just continuing to strengthen what we're trying to do with athletes. Um, the players are becoming more business savvy than ever. I think you're starting to see that. Uh, the players union are starting to become more business savvy than ever, starting to think of things a little bit differently. The education part is probably the most to me because what I've learned is that I've been around the smartest people in the world and they all they always come back to there's something new coming up every year that I got to learn and and I'm I always have to continue to learn and educate myself on where we're going next and you, you want to become the markets where you're seeing things 6 months a year out and that's one of the things that I learned very early on in my career is that the smart people were the people who were the most curious 
You know, being educated and smart are two very different things. And, you know, your curiosity and more importantly, your your heart and passion to want to make sure that those who are around you who also don't know or didn't know that you spread the knowledge in terms of what you, you all are doing. And I think you're right that within the Players Association, you guys have an amazing opportunity to have your own academy, if you will, around some of these things so that if you get a big contract and you have no money, that's on you. It's not that the opportunity wasn't available for you to learn some of these things and you didn't have to to sew it together the way you might have had to do almost 20 years ago, take a little from this one, take a little from that one. Now you kind of know what folks don't know and need to know with the first contract, the second contract, the third, you know, and then be able to kind of put it together for them and build that roadmap. So my hat's off to you. Morgan Stanley can help you. Let me know. Uh, Anyway, our last thing, we like to have a lightning round so that our listeners will have the opportunity to get to know Andre the man just a little bit more. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, coffee or tea? Oh, my wife just got me on the coffee, but I'll probably go with tea. Okay. All righty, winter or summer? Summer, that's easy. City or countryside? City. Favorite video game? Oh, uh, Tiger Woods. Oh, okay. Favorite holiday? Uh, Martin Luther King Day. Okay. California or Pennsylvania? California. If you had a talk show, who would be your first guest? Michael Jordan. Okay. Personal mantra. Uh, Luck is just hard work and opportunity. I heard that. And what's one word to describe your legacy? I would probably say generational. My favorite nickname for you is going to be the multiplier. Appreciate that. I like that one. I like that one. (laughs) Okay. Well, Andre, it has been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you very much for giving us the time. And as I promised, we got you within the space, my friend. And thank you so much. I'm still in that multiplier just to let you know. All right. Just say Carla Harris called me the multiplier. (laughs) Yes. I like that. Thank you all for joining us on this episode of Access and Opportunity. Be sure to stay tuned this season as we speak to more influencers in the sports, media, and entertainment fields who've committed to reframing the narrative for women and people of color. You won't want to miss it. What did you learn today from Andre Iguodala? Send us your thoughts at carlapod at morganstanley.com. We would love to hear from you. Subscribe to Access an Opportunity on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks for coming along.